Welcome to Act 3, the podcast where we explore how to thoughtfully shape the rest of our lives. I'm your host, Kara Gray. This podcast is sponsored by Good Morning Freedom, my retirement coaching service where I help executives and professionals plan their Act 3. For more information, stay tuned until the end. Today, it is my pleasure to welcome Marlon Weems to the podcast. Marlon spent over 30 years in the finance industry, beginning in the early 80s in Little Rock, Arkansas. In the mid-90s, he founded the state's first African-American-owned asset management firm. Later, he acquired securities investments of Conway from St. Louis-based Mercantile Bank to found Weems & Company, the state's first Black-owned investment bank. He went on to hold several leadership positions on Wall Street. In 2012, he and his family moved to North Carolina, and he began his writing career as an expert in capital markets analysis. A few years ago, he started The Journeyman, a newsletter exploring the intersection of American culture, politics, and anti-Black racism. In addition to his newsletter, Marlin still takes on the occasional freelance project. In 2022, he authored a deep dive report on applications for blockchain technology and healthcare for the Boston Globe Media. He is currently working on a memoir about his experiences in finance. Marlon lives on an island in North Carolina with his wife and two children. When he's not riding, you can find him on the beach or riding his bicycle up and down the island. Marlon, it's a pleasure to have you with me here today. Well, thanks for having me, Kara. Sure. So usually I talk to people about, you know, what their schedules looked like pre-retirement and, you know, what their life looked like and how crazy their world was. And um, you might win for like most dramatic story ever. And I, you know, we don't have to tell it all. People need to subscribe to your Substack newsletter and um, get the whole scoop because you can go down the rabbit hole with that forever. But um Give us some of the highlights of life when you first were, you know, having your um, asset management firm and then when it became Weems and Company. I mean, it is it is a crazy story. I mean, FBI is involved at some point. And... Well, um, you know, no spoilers, <laughs> but uh, as you said, I started off in Arkansas and uh, I think at the time, this we're talking about the early 80s, there weren't that many minorities in finance, period, in the United States. And I think in Arkansas, I was one of maybe four. And so uh, in the entire state. Yeah. And um, I guess, um, you know, I started out in the mid 80s and then, I don't know, 10 years later, um, I started my own business. The asset management business, quite frankly, didn't do that well because I didn't really know what I was doing. But it was kind of a, kind of a workaround to be able to get uh, some some financing for my business. Um, uh, I had the opportunity to uh, uh, acquire a small uh, investment bank, uh, the securities investments in Conway, which was basically the investment arm of, uh, of the a bank by the same name. And they were acquired by uh, Mercantile Bank. And I just, you know, was really kind of a flyer. I just said, you know, I'm going to see what they're going to do with this, uh, this little investment business that they clearly don't need since they're a big regional bank. 
and just kind of got lucky. And, um, and that's how Weems and Company uh, was born. And, um, you know, from there, I mean, um, you know, it's, it's a long story, but the short version is I had some trials and tribulations trying to, uh, trying to run my business in a place where there really were no minorities. And, and I wasn't uh, particularly welcome because I was kind of upset in the apple cart. Um, but you know, uh, after five years of running that business, I, uh, I shut it down and, and moved to New York and went to work on wall street and, and spent uh, a little over, a little over 10 years, um, as a trader on wall street. Yeah. Tell me about those years. Those must've been crazy. Cause all of a sudden oh, you're, you know, well, you're into working a lot of hours, I would imagine. Um, yeah, yeah, I always did, but but it's different, certainly on Wall Street. I guess it's kind of, uh, you know, like in the in baseball, going to the big show, so to speak. <laughs> but um, I did know some people already when I got there, so it wasn't, um, you know, like I was just sort of dropped into, you know, a, a totally strange situation. But you know, if if nothing else, my timing is perfect. I got there just in time for the internet bubble to burst. And then a year later was 9-11. And oh my gosh. That after that was um, the blackout and then the financial crisis. So, um, you know, plenty of stories for sure. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. Um, tell me about um, then what the transition looked like to North Carolina. Like what made you choose that as a place to transition to and where you're living your life now? Well, there, there were a couple of things. Um, one, I'm originally from Arkansas, of course, but we had, uh, we had talked about moving back to the South because, uh, you know, I mean, I just sort of rattled off, uh, you know, four kind of traumatic <laughs> experiences and, you know, yeah. it's, um, I guess for me, there's also a realization that technology was making my job um, obsolete. I mean, not, not exactly at that time, but you could kind of see it coming. Mm -hmm. And when I first, um, got to New York, if a customer wanted you to buy or sell 10 different stocks, you might need, you know, three or four guys to do that. And with the introduction of, uh, technology, it just became something you could do almost as an afterthought. And so, you know, one guy could do it. Yeah. And, um, so, you know, you, you can kind of see where things were, or at least I could anyway, kind of see where things were going. And then with the financial crisis, I think, um, to me, the handwriting was kind of on the wall. I mean, I think 30,000 folks got laid off, maybe more, you know, just wall street related yeah. uh, jobs. And so it just seemed like time. And my wife has a sister in North Carolina. So that was where we originally started and we didn't really want to go all the way back to Arkansas. Um, and plus North Carolina has beaches. So, <laughs> so that was, uh, that was that. That's good. And we must say too, that you do not consider self retired at this point. You consider yourself semi-retired. So I think that's yeah, a distinction. Yeah, I mean, it's, it is different. I mean, the, I guess the difference for me is that, um, well, you know, I was working 70 hours a week in New York. And so I'm, I got no interest in continuing to do that, but, uh, I like to kind of keep it moving. So, um, my writing kind of morphed from 
doing the capital markets slash um, subject matter expert stuff to, um, you know, writing more observational opinion stuff and, and, uh, and working on the manuscript, which is, uh, in case you don't know it, writing a book is hard. It is. <laughs> it, it's hard. And, and no it's, uh, you, you really, you really have to spend a lot of time with it. So uh, when I started, I thought I would be done by now and it would be on the shelves, but yeah. um, I think I'm just under 40,000 words in and I feel like I'm maybe halfway there. So, okay. So okay. Uh, I probably need a good editor too. <laughs> wow. Well, that's always a good idea. <laughs> but yeah, there's, there's kind of a lot to tell. And in a way, the, um, the way I'm writing is to, uh, certain, you know, of course, tell my personal story, but also maybe a little bit of history is in there too. In terms, mm -hmm. of, you know, I don't think a lot of people really know, for example, uh, much about the uh, sort of the rise of black and uh, or firms owned by black people and people of color. You know, mm -hmm. um, and and I just, I guess, happened to be in that timeline of where a lot of those things were coming about. So I try to give some context uh, in that regard and it you know it takes a little bit of a little bit of extra effort when you're not just writing about something that happened to you you know right no for sure um and i had read an article um where you were interviewed and it was talking about how when you moved to north carolina um you thought it might be you know easier than it was to pick up some wall street work still or it work in that space mm -hmm. and found that it wasn't do you want to share a little of that i mean we can bring it down yeah. here yeah I, real. Uh, I um thought because when i left new york i had spent i guess those last um five years out of the 13 that i was there I was actually running a trading operation that was pretty um, sophisticated. And I was, you know, doing um, uh, corporate buyback work for companies like Walmart and Microsoft. And, and my, my firm was, um, in most of those cases, the only minority-owned firm that they were using. And because we were good. <laughs> and, yeah. And so with that sort of... Um, I guess, background, I thought, well, um, I'll probably end up living in Charlotte because that's where all the, you know, the S or the, um, um, capital markets firms are kind of, you know, in the South anyway, are located. And, um, it didn't work out that way. I mean, I, I think, uh, I have this sort of, uh, my wife and I have this test that we do on why things happen the way they do. And, it's called the lowest common denominator. Right. I'm not good at math, but that's kind of, and you know, you just try to eliminate the reasons why something may or may not be happening. And I think in my case, part of it was, you know, and you can never really quantify it. I think there was maybe some sort of a racial aspect to it. Yep. But at the same time, I, I was 54 or 55. And I think that might have had just as much, if not more, because it is a, you know, it's a young man's game for sure. Yeah. But, uh, and, and if you're in and you're 54, that's one thing. But when you're trying to get in and you're 54, 
maybe it's a, it's a difference. And I would see where, because I knew I had the resume. And I think, too, part of it, uh, you know, it may be a, I don't know how you, again, how you quantify it, but the, the hiring managers didn't have as much experience as I did for, you know, some of the roles that I was looking at. Yeah. And so they, if I were them, maybe I would be hesitant to hire my potential replacement, you know, if you're looking at that way. But yeah, all, all of those things, I would see where, um, you know, my LinkedIn page, you could see that somebody's looking at it and kind of where they're from. And, it, you know, suddenly the interest would just kind of, you know, go away. And so uh, all those things, you know, it's kind of serendipitous. I mean, I didn't really resist it that much because I just kind of figured I know enough that I can, I can sort of you know, hustle and make something happen myself. I don't necessarily um, want that structure again anyway. So that's kind of how, what got me into writing. I got the opportunity to, uh, to start doing um, white papers and, you know, that sort of thing for um, a capital markets uh, firm in New York. And that was really what started me uh, down the path of, of being a writer and, you know, and using, you know, learning a methodology to kind of, um, uh, you know, sort of test my, my theory or, you know, if you will. And so, yeah, that was 10 years ago. And, and now I think I've kind of got it, to, you know, sort of that sweet spot of where it doesn't feel like I'm really working that hard, <laughs> but I can, but yeah. I can still keep the lights turned on and I can kind of do my thing, you know, um, go to the beach like I'm going to do today. And yeah. Uh, you know, and just kind of um, keep my blood pressure down. <laughs> yeah, no, that's a goal for sure. But, you know, ageism is real. And a lot of my clients I have, um, you know, the goal isn't to stop working entirely. Mm -hmm. The goal is to maybe pivot and do something where you have a bit more of your time. And that's something what they encounter. But when you add racism on top of that, um, you know, it's not it's not an easy path. So I applaud you for, um, you know, being persistent and taking a positive attitude towards that. It's, that's amazing. Um, for those of you who don't know, I worked at, at a DEI consultancy for the last few years and um, racism is live and well. <laughs> it's a thing. It's a thing. Do you want to talk a little bit more about, because um, you do write about um, anti-racism. Um, sure. If you want to talk a little bit more about, you know, well, I can I can tell solutions. you, you know, yeah. if uh, solutions, I I don't know if I'm smart enough to have yeah. a solution or if there is even a solution, but yeah. one of them, uh, certainly one is like what we're doing right now is talking about it. I yeah. think um, part of the uh, the problem that you know we we kind of have this you know, divided country. I'm not sure it's 50-50 yeah. divided, but, you know, uh, there people don't want to talk about what's right in your face, you know. Yeah. The whole. So that's, that's something that I think would go a long way. Um, and, and also just kind of acknowledging that it exists. Yeah. Because, I mean, yeah. white people, white people can say they're racist all day. And I can say this because I'm white. Um, but until you actually acknowledge that you have 
privilege and advantages because of that, things are not going to change. And you also need to be aware of that in everything that you're doing, um, how you work, how you operate, and recognize that it's different. It's a, it's a different situation. And you should, um, you know, just be, be aware and help help other folks out. So I can tell you, I, I'll give you a, a personal story. Now, yeah. this was in the, I guess, in the mid-90s when I started this, you know, when I decided to go out on my own. Mm-hmm. And and this is the kind of thing that would probably never happen to you. Um, yeah. Maybe because you are, you know, you're, you're a woman, perhaps there, there'd be something like this. But when I started my firm, I knew the, I, there was some office space that I had my eye on. Uh, I had a friend, um, a young lady that happened to be white, that uh, we'd gone to school together. And so, you know, we were pretty tight. And, and she showed me this space and it was in what was, uh, well, still is the, the tallest building in the state of Arkansas which isn't saying much, but you know, <laughs> it's Arkansas, right? So, so, um, you know, I looked at it and it was perfect and I could kind of see, okay, yeah, this is the image that I want to, you know, put, yeah, and, you know, I don't want to start a business and I'm trying to say I'm an investment guy and, you know, I'm operating in a strip mall, right? So you've got to right. be in the right place. Absolutely. So, um, so I went through the whole process and, and, in the back of my mind, rightly or wrongly, I thought, if these people see me, there's no way they're going to rent me this space. So uh, I just allowed her to do all my negotiation. They knew everything about me. They knew the firm that I worked at. And because of <laughs> where I worked, they just assumed I was a white guy. Okay. Right. And so fast forward to, you know, I signed the lease, everything's set. My move-in day rolls around and um, my brother, one of my brothers uh, was with me and, you know, we were just showing up to get ready to start moving in stuff, right? And then? And the the building manager showed up to welcome us and as soon as she got off the elevator, I knew we were going to have a problem. And they tried to back out of the lease. They didn't have a reason. Um, and my, um, you know, we had to threaten legal action. I mean, this, this took two or three hours because when she showed up, it was like, suddenly she said, there must be a, (laughs) there must be a mistake. (laughs) Listen, there's no mistake. Yeah. yeah, So, I mean, that's just (laughs) like a, one of those things. I mean, I've had, um, when I was setting that business up, you know, buying office furniture, um, you know. I'd sort of gone into a bunch of my savings and, and was setting up bank accounts and doing all these things. Right. I mean, yeah. now you can do a lot of it electronically, but back yeah. then you had to show up with cash and, you know, or a cashier's check. Yep. And, and uh, I had a guy at a furniture store refuse to sell us like, you know, we're buying 10 conference room chairs and, they refused to to sell them to us because they thought the money was like illicit drug yeah. dealer money or something. And it's right, like, yeah. yeah, so crazy stuff. I mean, that's the thing. Racism doesn't it doesn't make a lot of sense a lot a lot of the time. But no, you know, those are things that happen, and you know, you know, why does this guy think I'm a drug dealer? 
I'm wearing a suit. What, why would he think that, you know? So, so yeah, uh, those are some things that I'm sort of weaving into the, you know, the book I'm working on, but, but it's, uh, and you know, those things, I mean, that, that certainly was a long, you know, a few decades ago, but I mean, I have, I'm sure I'm no different than any other person of color and they're, you know, these things just kind of uh, are persistent. Yeah. I'm glad we're talking about this. This is now a different podcast, but I don't care. Because <laughs> well, it's important. Yeah. That's what happens when you get an old black guy on your podcast. <laughs> you know, I found you, Marlon. So I listen. We can talk about age or we can talk about racism. You know, your call. <laughs> yeah. No, all good. I'm glad we spent a little bit of time on that, obviously. Um, that subject is is near and dear and something that needs to get i don't i don't know what happened needs to happen in this country i have hope for the next generation i don't know if you do but i do for a yeah. few generations yeah i feel like they are understanding I've that got, we are um, i've know. got a daughter that uh, just turned 20 this summer and i have a son that's um he'll be 18 in a couple of months so he's a high school senior Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, we've been just so fortunate because they're both really sharp kids. Um, my daughter is today is her first year or first day rather, um, as a junior at, uh, uh, one of the, one of the North Carolina colleges. And so, you know, they're, I mean, just really sharp. They know a whole lot more about what's going on, um, just in terms of current events and, uh, you know, the, the state of play, I guess. I mean, I, I was just wandering around trying to figure out how to, you know, get to the next party or something. I I don't, I wasn't <laughs> thinking about politics when I was yeah. 20, you know, so, yeah. so I think that speaks well of that generation, I think is just really, um, they have, cause they've really, if you think about it, they've experienced nothing but one you know, one upheaval after another, if you're 20, you know, you're on, I guess what the backside of nine 11, and then just, there's never really been just a truly great time for them. So, no, there hasn't of, been. And that's, that's awful. I mean, it feels like the world is on yeah. fire right now a little bit. Well, and, so and it kind of, it kind of is. I yeah. Think that's yeah. Another, I mean, literally the story, different yeah. podcast. podcast. <laughs> but yeah. I mean, they, they, see what's going on around them. And I think a lot of them, certainly not all, but a lot of, um, you know, Gen Zers, I guess, you know, they're, they're just, um, ready to take action, I think. So, yeah, you know, hope there's hope. <laughs> there is hope. There's always hope. Um, so speaking of your kids, um, you are writing a memoir, which, um, you know, will be part of your legacy. Um, are you thinking about other things in terms of legacy? Cause that's something that folks think about as they, um, yeah. Um, well, you know, part of, I guess the writing, um, if you, if you looked at any of, you know, the stuff I've written, um, mm-hmm. I, even though I may be talking about, <clears throat> oh, you know, something, um, going on in the economy, a lot of times I'll weave in a personal story too. And I guess I was looking the other day and I think I've written maybe a hundred essays on different things. And, and, um, you know, there's a lot of personal stuff there that, 
uh, hopefully, you know, my writings <laughs> will stick around after I'm, I'm gone and my yeah. kids can, you know, have that's to me, that's kind of a piece of me that I can leave, leave behind. No, for sure. Um, your sub stack is worthy. <laughs> it you. is worthy. I only just scratched the surface because I, I started on it a couple of days ago and then I read more yesterday and there's a lot in there to learn from you and to, you know, and to learn about period. So, um, tell people how they can find it and how they can find you. Well, uh, sure. It's on, on Substack. I think it's the journeyman.substack.com, I think. But if you just, uh, you know, go to substack.com and search my, me, or, you know, Marlon Weems or, uh, the journeyman, you know, it's pretty easy to find and they have, um, they actually have a, uh, an app now that has uh -oh. sort of a, sort of a Twitter functionality in part of it. And, and that's really, uh, I used to be pretty active on Twitter and, um, you know, it's just kind of gotten so bad lately yeah. that it's just not even worth, um, I, I just don't, I don't want to use social media to get mad, you know, no. <laughs> and, and, uh, <laughs> And, you know, now that it's called X, I mean, it's just really not the same, uh, the same platform anymore. So I, I'm on Twitter, um, but I rarely post there. Yeah. Um, so if you, you know, you can find me on Substack and I think in my LinkedIn, there's a link that, uh, you know, it's one of those link tree things that has like a lot of all my social media, as well as uh, sometimes I'll put some of the most recent things that I've written in there that you can kind of get a, a sampling. Perfect. So, yeah. Yeah. That either one of those, you, I'm not hard to find. <laughs> no, I found you. <laughs> and um, I will put links to both the Substack newsletter so y'all can subscribe and um, also a, a, you know, a link to your LinkedIn to get to everything else. Marlon, thank you so much for your time today. I've really enjoyed this chat with you and I'm glad we got into a little bit. Yeah. Same here. Same here. And thanks for inviting me. This podcast is sponsored by Good Morning Freedom, my retirement coaching firm. I help executives and professionals plan the non-financial part of their retirement, like how to discover new purpose and how you want to spend your time. I offer a one-on-one -on -one coaching retirement blueprint package where we work together to discover some new avenues of exploration for your Act 3. This coaching is completely custom and we'll provide you with a ton of resources and support as you transition to this new stage of life. For all the details, please go to goodmorningfreedom.com slash services.